Hello and welcome to Book Reviews Kill, a podcast about fantasy, sci-fi, and horror novels. I'm Evan, and today I'm sitting down with Fonda Lee, author of Zero Boxer, the Exo series, the Greenbone Saga, and a new novella called Untethered Sky. Fonda, thank you so much for your time and for sitting down with me today. Thanks, Evan. Glad to be on the show. Uh, Chad was supposed to be here today, but he's kind of sick, so it's just going to be Fonda and myself. And uh, I haven't actually even heard from Chad this morning. He's that sick, so... Uh... Oh, no. <laughs> I'm, he's gonna, I'm gonna have a phone call from him later a regretful phone call but you know you snooze you lose I, I always like to start with this question as we are a podcast primarily centered on books we talk about video games sometimes movies and stuff like that but it's mostly books so I wanted to know what are you currently reading if anything I almost always have two books on the go I always have a print book going and an audiobook going uh, so right now, on the print side, I'm reading a classic historical fiction novel. It's a Shogun by James Clavell, you know, an oldie, but a, quite the huge epic. Uh, I'm so I'm making my way through that. It's a it's a chonker for sure. I thought oh. I wrote a chonker, but uh, <laughs> Clavell really really wrote chonkers. Um, so that's what I'm <clears throat> reading in print. And then uh, on audio, I'm listening to Neverwhere by Neil Gaiman. Um, I always just enjoy listening to Gaiman narrate his own novels, and that was one of his that I hadn't read yet, so uh, so that's what I'm listening to. It's funny, I've seen a lot of discourse that says authors should never narrate their own books. You know, Stephen King's not a, not a great narrator, and uh, Daniel Handler, the person that did the Lemony Snicket books after Tim Curry for some reason, trying to follow that up, but Neil Gaiman is one of the best narrators ever. Right. He might be like the exception right. you know, to a sort of a, a general rule. And there's there are obviously authors who are professional narrators, like Mary Robinette Cole and Travis Baldry, where I'm like, okay, you get the yeah. uh, you, you get a pass on this. Clearly you're <laughs> qualified. Um, I would never in a million years narrate my own audiobook. So I'm I'm very <laughs> impressed by by people like Gaiman who can do that. Do you think that you don't you wouldn't want to do it because of the the workload or just because of the way that you think your voice sounds? <laughs> I you know, I just think that it would be weird to read my own book. You've already read it so many times. Yeah, exactly. I've already read it as much as I want to read it. Uh and also I don't think I could get the voices of my own characters. Like it would, Interesting. it would bug me that I can do that. <laughs> so I'll leave it to professionals. Right. Like, how do you how do you do Hilo consistently? Too? Right, exactly. You, know, you got to do it the same every time. Oh. So in your head. Yeah, that's I had Travis Baldry on here uh, months ago. And I was that was one of the, the questions was, how do you keep all these voices in line? If you're doing a fantasy book with different creatures and races and all this stuff, there's yeah. a whole file on his computer, apparently. Yeah, I'm really happy. Fortunately, I've been very happy with all the audiobook narrators I've had. They always, so far, have done a great job. Andrew Cushino did such a good job with oh the Greenbone Saga. So, yeah, I was very thrilled. I did about half the Greenbone Saga with audiobook. Um, and Andrew Cushino was incredible really really good even sped up a little bit and sometimes i oh, find yeah. that the narrator it's, it's for some reason if they speed it up it's his cadence is weird how did you find andrew cashino was that your choice or was that the publisher's choice well the publisher sent me a few choices so they narrowed it down to i think three auditions and i was fortunate they involved me i said you know i i listen to a lot of audiobooks i have strong opinions about them and the narrator really makes it it breaks it for me and so i gave them a page um, out of my book that had most of the main characters talking because i wanted to see how each of the narrators would 
would do them. And then I listened to, they actually had another narrator in mind. And then I listened to Andrew's audition and I was like, oh yeah, no, that's, that's lawn talking. That's healer talking. So it was, it was, it was a, a slam dunk for me. I'm really glad we got him. And he's a, he's you know, a voice actor who's done a ton of, you know, different shows and, and cartoons. And so, yeah, he, he knew how to do voices. Would that have been Andrew's first time reading the Greenbone saga? Or do you, did he have to read through it once and get a feel for it? You know, I don't know. I think he, de- I, I, you would have to ask him, but right, I totally. believe his process is that, you know, he reads through it and then he has to make notes around you know, how he's going to perform different parts before he sits down and records. Especially with a series like the Greenbone Saga, which takes so many hard lefts emotionally. <laughs> I feel like reading that out loud for the first time, you'd have to retake it sometimes because right. some of those chapters are so abrupt and intense and they turn on a dime sometimes. And I think that trying to have like this measured, clear reading voice while trying to also read those for the first time would be kind of difficult. Another question I've got here is Untethered Sky is releasing soon. And for all our listeners, it is a monster hunting nature memoir that Chad and I both loved. We read it right when we got the book. Uh, It felt like a chapter taken from the story of a larger world. Uh, Do you have plans to write more stories about rocks and manticores and things like that? Or is this kind of a one-off thing? No, this is very much a one and done. Um, And it's an interesting thing about... um you know, writing a story like Untethered Sky that's a novella, but that's like in a secondary fantasy world that I still have to do all the work, like of building the world and coming up with the premise and the culture and the history of it and all that. Um, but excerpting, you know, the story that I want to tell um, and the, everything in the background still has to like be created. So it's not actually like that much less work, like even though it's a shorter book, right? I still have to do all the world building. Um, but yeah, I, I wanted it to feel very much like uh, as believable as gigantic birds of prey and man-eating monsters could be, given the the nature of the story being very being that like wildlife memoir vibe. Um, but uh, it, yeah, it's that it's by itself. It is such a fun book. I mean, the the backdrop of Untethered Sky. I think you know as much work as you did put into it. It's it's a very kind of subtle backdrop that I was able to draw a lot of different kind of like lines to different things in my own head. It was really great. In Untethered Sky's acknowledgments, you mentioned that you'd begun writing this story in 2015. You had discussed it with your agent, I believe. Yes. In 2019. Yeah. So I started writing it in 2015, um, and it at the time began as a novel. And then in 2019, I was writing Jade Legacy. So I set it aside. Um, because I was writing this gigantic oh, trilogy. Yeah. <laughs> and in 2019, I, I ended up having um, lunch with my future editor of the novella, um, Jonathan Strawn at Tor.com, who said, hey, have you ever thought about writing a novella? I know you're busy you know, finishing this trilogy, but what are you going to do afterwards? And he kind of leered me in because he was like, you know, novellas are short. I was like, they are. <laughs> at this point, I mean, Jade Legacy is somewhere in the range of like 255,000 words, which for listeners is, you know, 700 odd pages. So the idea of writing something short and contained was just deeply appealing. Um, And that was actually the trip where I also, I went on a hawk walk with my family. I was in Dublin for Worldcon 
and made a family vacation out of it. Uh, they flew over near the end of the con and we toured around Ireland. Um, and I have, you know, was always fascinated by birds of prey and, and by falconry. So we did this hawk walk and um, I remembered, you know, I was thinking about this, this novel that I had started years ago, but then I'd set aside. And so like the stars aligned and I was like, you know, I'm going to come back to this project. Um, and I got inspired to do so. So uh, yeah, it, it's sort of a lesson to all of you writers who are listening. Um, you know, sometimes the path for a project uh, is a very long and convoluted one. And, you know, you have great, you may have a fantastic idea right now and you can't get to it, but it might go into cold storage and then come back out and you'll see it with fresh eyes, which is very much what happened to me. You know, by the time I got around to working on Untethered Sky again, I had many more books under my belt. Um, I had, you know, a different set of tools as a writer, more experience, um, and looked at it and thought, you know, I, I actually can make this. It was kind of a me as a novel, it wasn't quite working. It was sort of meandering. I wasn't really sure where I was going with it. And then when I thought about it as a novella, like things fell into place. That's really interesting that it started as something much longer and then you decided maybe upon reopening it all that and looking at it with yeah. fresh eyes, maybe this could be a little bit shorter and a little punchier and I don't need all this other right. stuff. How did it feel opening it back up after finishing something so long and so involved right. and complicated? Right. Was it really refreshing for you to kind of look at this story and say, all right, I'm just going to, I'm going to tell this, this up and down kind of like arc here and just tell yeah, this story yeah. it's contained. Was it, did it feel like kind of a break almost? It really did. It felt like a very needed change of pace for me mm -hmm. um, because I was basically exercising very different muscles um, as a writer, right? Green, Greenbone Saga is this vast story. It's a large canvas. It's dozens of characters. It's got a very modern, urban, gritty tone. Uh, and this was like the opposite of it in so many ways. Um, it's It's short, it's focused, it's it's more contemplative and delicate. It's about the relationship of this one woman and this creature that she's training. It's um, it takes place in the pre-modern era, wide open countryside. You know, it's it's so different from um, the Greenbone Saga that honestly, I was I was having fun, but I was also kind of worried if any of my Greenbone Saga <laughs> readers would read this because you know sometimes they really like your work for one thing and there's definitely part of me that was like maybe they're gonna all everyone's gonna like rainbow saga is gonna hate this but i was having fun and i from what i've heard so far a, a lot of other people have enjoyed it and so um i think it is really important as a writer to make sure that like you are stretching yourself in different directions um to keep it interesting for you as well as for your readers Speaking of writing, um, do you keep to a writing schedule or do you have a specific routine you've found works for you when you're drafting or revising or rewriting? I try to have a schedule. I would say I am medium successful at it. Uh, and it really kind of depends on where I am in the process. So uh, writing is, is my job and I treat it like my job and I'll set aside, you know, I'm going to work from this time of the day to this other time of the day. And um, I usually have specific goals that I'm trying to achieve in the short term. So I might get up on a Monday morning and be like, okay, this week, my goal is to revise these three chapters, or it's to draft 10,000 words. 
Um, it might be a week where I'm teaching or I'm traveling or I'm promoting my book. And so that all kind of factors into you know, what my schedule looks like for any given week. Um, but I have to work backwards oftentimes from deadlines. I'll know that I have a draft that's due by some certain date. Um, and then I back into it and figure out, okay, that means that ideally I should have uh, it drafted by this date, which means that I have to kind of work at this pace. And I know I'm going to lose three weeks because I have a book launch in between here. So um, yeah, I, I try to create a schedule and then, you know, occasionally wrenches get thrown into it. What do you find works for you when you're having difficulty with a scene or you're kind of, you're in this drafting space and you've got a deadline. There's this plot point in a project that you're working on that you just... It's not working. You got to tear it down. Um, do you push through that stuff or do you kind of back away from it, work on something else, put it down for a second? What's your, what's your process in those moments? It really depends because sometimes I'm stuck just because I can't figure out some piece of the plot or there's something about the story that I like, I need to do more research on this. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, and so in those cases, you know, I might like jump ahead to a different part and write from there, or I might pause and like do some re-outlining and try and figure it out before I could jump back into it. And sometimes it's just because the story is not quite ready. Like I, maybe I don't really, I'm not feeling it yet. And there's something else that I want to work on instead. Or maybe it's a me thing. Like maybe I'm just overworked or tired or stressed about something else or, you know, it's the holidays or I don't know, I've mm -hmm. been traveling and the motivation isn't there, in which case, like that's a different solution, right? Maybe it is taking a step back and working on something else for a while. So it, it sort of depends on the situation. And I try to be flexible about try about taking like time away from the project when it needs time. Um, but also like being disciplined and not letting myself off the hook too much. And, you know, I'm not feeling it today. So I'm just going to, I don't know, play video games or whatever <laughs> instead of writing. So, um, you know, I, I it, it is, it's, it's tough. I think every writer sort of has to do their own little evaluation of like, you know, what's, what's wrong with, uh, with the project or with them when something's just like not quite working out. And you'll hear people say like, oh, I don't believe in writer's block. Um, but I think like writer's block is more the symptom. And then you have to sort of analyze like, well, what's the what's the disease that's underneath that? The irony, and I think that a lot of writers face is like, we got into writing because we love books, we love reading. Yeah. And then as a result of being an author, you have like no time to actually read anymore. <laughs> it's like you're busy <laughs> writing your own books. Yeah. And sometimes at the end of the day of writing my own stuff, I'm like, I don't want to look at words anymore. Um, totally. And then on top of that, I get sun books, right? So as mm. you know, authors, we get arcs and stuff that, we, that we're reading because we're going to be on a panel with some other author or do an event with another author that we're asked to blurb stuff. Um, so yeah, it, it's constant struggle. Reading Greenbone, you do such a good job at not only like subverting expectations and things like that, but you know, you're taking these these characters that I think I know, and you put them in these situations that I'm not expecting, and then they act in a way that I'm not expecting, but can relate to. And it's like, to juggle all of that, to juggle so much, not just capital P plot, this is what's happening, this is what ha what's happening, but giving these characters this extra human emotion in these situations off the page. Like, I feel like uh, Hilo is sitting in his office stressing out 
while Shay is sitting in her office stressing out and Andon is stressing out. And I can picture them all doing it because of these situations that you've laid out. They're so tangled together, but also so cohesive. How mangled everything kind of seems while you're reading it and how much sense it makes once you're through it. And I'm, I'm wondering, like, while you're doing that, when you're drafting this kind of stuff, are you outlining all this or are you kind of watching, you know, are you kind of like having a, a situation happen and then watching what the characters, like how they respond to it? I hope that wasn't too Both. complicated of a question. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I I hear what you're saying because there were definitely times writing this trilogy, I, I felt like it was going to break my brain because there were just so many pieces. Yeah. And I, I would be like, okay, I know I have to take like these six threads and like connect them and they have to all get braided together and like five different things have to happen in the scene. So there were definitely times it felt like I was just one of those unicyclists, you know, juggling like 12 plates in the air. <laughs> and, you know, the, the question of like, well, okay, so how like tactically do you actually do that? is sort of baffling because I can only kind of understand it in hindsight. Uh, and there was definitely some component that was planning, but then there was another component that was just like organically figuring it out um, as you go along. And the planning part for me comes down to um, kind of like knowing what the core of the story is and where it's going. Uh, so this could have been one of those stories that just veered off into ginormous scope creep, right? Like I could have had a whole other plot line happen in like Deppenland. I could have had, you know, a whole other book happen about the mountain clan. Like it could have gone, um, you know, off the rails. Uh, off the rails. <laughs> uh, but in order to kind of keep the focus um on it i i knew from the start that like this was sort of at its heart it's a it's a family saga and it's about the cult family and so all of my narrative decisions had to be filtered through that and i knew where i wanted this family to end up in the end um and so that like kept the wheels on the track but then with all the like pieces and the things that had to be incorporated um some of them i would figure out ahead of time but a lot of them actually just happen because of the tracks that get laid during the writing process so like i would for example i'd have a scene and i would have some of the secondary characters in the clan show up in this scene and then what happens as a result of having like this large cast of characters in this whole world is that like it makes sense for them to just keep coming back so like for example i'd had I have characters that are kind of minor characters in the first book. Um, like I would have a, I think like the first time Vin shows up, he's like a minor character who, you know, has really good perception. Okay. By the time I get to the third book, there's like an opportunity for like these characters that I've already been created to show up at like opportune times and do cool things. So, um, you're almost like farming your own work and finding like things you've already done that suddenly intuitively make sense for you to pick up and use. The layers kind of grow naturally on top of each other. It's like a tool belt. Yeah. You maybe forgot, oh, I have the perfect tool for this situation. One of the things I found so refreshing about Greenbone 
you know, I, I read quite a bit of high fantasy. That's my genre. That's what I make all this content around. Um, your incorporation of modern technology into what could rightly be labeled high fantasy, secondary fantasy, um, secondary worlds, I mean, did that come about as a response to more medieval Western European settings that are very prevalent and popular in fantasy? Was that something that you had noticed that you actively and um, like like mentally like wanted to do differently or did it just feel kind of natural for the setting you were writing yeah it was very much the latter i mean i of course have read plenty of medieval milieu fantasy um but uh the greenbone saga wasn't really a active subversion of that i wasn't like oh i'm really tired of this oh, i want to write a fantasy that's completely different it just kind of worked out that way because i wanted to take a bunch of stuff that I enjoyed and sort of smash it all together. Um, and so like those, the inspirations for the Greenbone Saga included the wuxia genre, kung fu flicks, mob movies, both like mm -hmm. Western cinema and Eastern cinema, uh, gangster media. And so I like kind of just smashed all that together. Um, and then of course, epic fantasy. Right? And so it just turned out that like the vibe that I wanted to create um, and the the sort of vision that I had in my head wasn't something that was like common in epic fantasy and high fantasy. And I just, I like, I mean, what is, what's a gangster saga without dark alleyways and men smoking and <laughs> Tommy guns and, you know, yeah. all that. So it was just like natural. That was like the, that was the um, picture that I had scrolling through my head as I was writing the Greenbone saga and trying to like make all these pieces work together was really kind of the the aim of that. I wasn't trying to like kind of do the opposite of epic fantasy. I was trying to bring epic fantasy into other things that I loved. I love that. That's really cool. Yeah, I mean, having these kind of crime family type situations, I mean, like it almost calls for like shady phone calls and quick plane exactly. rides and, you know, someone sitting in the back of a car that might blow up or something like that's Yes. Right. Yeah, we need that stuff. And you introducing the more kind of conventional high fantasy element of like this, I guess you could call for lack of a better word, magical substance that needs to right. that is very important. So your marrying of those two things, I'm honestly shocked nobody had thought of it yet. Like it's uh, now like after reading it, it's like, oh, it's so obvious. It's such a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, they say writers write, you know, what they want to read. So totally. that yeah. was that was what I wanted and I didn't have it on hand. So I guess I had to write a bunch of books. Would you consider Greenbone to be urban fantasy? Like the because I've seen that term like floated around for it. And I think yeah. like urban does it doesn't really strike the like, yes, there's buildings and right. streets and stuff, but it just I never really got the urban vibe from it. Right. I was curious what you thought about that. I didn't think of it as really any specific genre when I was writing it. Yeah. Um, which goes to show that I did not think super deeply about marketability. <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> and so like, I, I heard it um, described as urban fantasy only after it was published, hmm. but I did not think of it as urban fantasy because in my mind, urban fantasy had like very specific conventions. Right. um that had that had come to be associated with it and i think those are rather limiting conventions i think urban fantasy should be considered more broadly and i'm actually fine with people holding up my book as an example of a different type of urban fantasy <laughs> but at the time that i was writing greenbone saga urban fantasy was very synonymous with like paranormal and like 
set in our world but with hidden hidden magic creatures like werewolves and vampires and so there that wasn't what i was writing obviously so i didn't think of it as urban fantasy in that way i definitely thought of it more as an epic fantasy story but set in modern times um but now i've heard people call it you know epic urban fantasy or you know uh, modern epic fantasy which is like whatever you want to call it that's fine with me so jade legacy the final green bone installment the longest one i'm pretty sure was released fairly recently what was it like saying goodbye to that world i mean i know that you've done some kind of more peripheral kind of shorter stuff on the side and things like that but ultimately you're closing that chapter on on that story and that family um what was it like after so many years and so much work and revisions and everything that you had to do to finish it it was weird i'm not gonna lie it felt very bittersweet Mm -hmm. on one hand there was this overwhelming sense of relief like oh thank god it actually got done (laughs) um and you have to remember i wrote jade legacy largely during 2020 so it was my pandemic book and there was this it was this weird experience of wow like everything just going to pieces in the world around me but like just putting my head down and being super determined to finish this trilogy um so uh, there was this relief of just finishing the project but then also just this it was it was sad it was yeah it was hard to leave that world and all those characters which is why i ended up writing a novella and a bunch of short stories because i couldn't (laughs) quite let go i was like you know, I knew I was not going to write, you know, a whole other book, but I just wanted to hang out with those characters for a little bit longer and maybe see them as they were way back at the beginning and remind myself of, you know, those those characters Aww. before I put them through all the trauma <laughs> that I put them through. The um, absolute so, hell. <laughs> <laughs> so there there was there was a lot of of mixed feelings about it and um, you know, we talked about Untethered Sky and, and coming back to a, a, a previous project. Uh, yeah, that, that was largely because I, I mentioned, you know, I needed to do something different. Um, but also, I wanted to to go back to something that I felt like I had already gotten a little bit of momentum on because it was, it, it was hard to pull myself out of the Greenbone Saga world, even though I had all these other projects I wanted to do, uh, and I was excited to work on them, it still felt like, but what I don't, I don't know these other people, you know, like where's my family? <laughs> I know the Call family. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it, it's uh, it, it was it was definitely it was happy and it was also, you know, it was hard. I mean, it makes sense because like I mean, I had a huge hangover after those books, and I had only gone through it. It took me, you know, like three or four weeks, something like that. But you were working on it for years. You had been through yeah. everything. Uh, yeah, it's it's such a more intense process for you. So yeah, thank you for answering that one. Okay, so I have a question. And I've interviewed a lot of authors on here. And this is always a touchy one. So, <laughs> but I understand why it's touchy. But are you able to speak on the Greenbone Saga television adaptation in any capacity? Just like one word, 10 words. It's in progress, I guess. It's alive. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it's so been bad. through, it, uh, some, some ups and downs in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of authors can relate to how unpredictable things get, um, with film and television options. Um, probably most people who've been following, uh, 
you know, me on social media know that it was optioned to Peacock um, and they decided to shelve it and not go ahead with it. Um, so that option expired. And then we have since re-optioned it, um, but that is not public yet because it's still in the process of, you know, the, uh, forming creative team and, um, and still have early stages. So I'm hoping we'll be in a place where I can talk a little bit more about where it's going to go from here. Um, but I guess the, the short answer is, uh, it's, there's still hope and potential for it. And I'm, I'm, I'm keeping my fingers crossed like everyone else. What do you imagine it's going to feel like if they, when they, when they, I'm going to say when, when they make this show and you've got all these events that you had written down on your computer <laughs> on screen with a budget and actors and lighting and music and all that like are you are you worried about maybe your your baby being changed or or because I, I have i imagine uh, as you can see by like i don't know game of thrones uh yeah <laughs> like authors don't have a ton of control of like what these studios are doing um, do you feel any kind of like trepidation at putting that control in other people's hands, um, seeing what they do with it, seeing what they don't do with it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you you don't know, right? You don't have control yeah. over it. Um, and you might end up loving it. You might end up absolutely hating it. You know, I think regardless, there's it'll, it'll be cool. Uh, yeah. But also, I think as an author, it's important to kind of emotionally distance yourself some authors are super involved. Like they want to be part of the writer's room and to be writing the scripts. Um, but like, that's, I'm, I'm a novelist. I, if I wanted to be a screenwriter, I'd be a screenwriter. So I have books to write. And for me, the books will always be there. The books will always be my vision. They're exactly like every word in those books is intentional. So the, the Greenbone saga is what I want it to be. And if, um, you know, if someone else takes it as a jumping off point and turns it into a show or something else, you know, a, a movie or some other form of entertainment, that's cool. I'm glad that it inspired that. And I would, I mean, I would love to see these characters on screen just like everyone else. But I also have to kind of harden my heart a little bit. And I think like a lot of authors have to do that or like you have to also understand that it's like it's not your thing it sort of is but it's also not uh, i asked this one on almost all of my author interviews but i really like this question uh, do you have any advice for aspiring authors is there anything with regard to write, the writing process that you had to learn the hard way that's a really great question i i am thinking back on you know before i was published and i don't think i fully appreciated just how much work it was to be an author. You know, like you, you sort of think, oh, you're an author, like you're most of your time is spent writing. Like it's, that that's like sort of the obvious conclusion to come to. But once you're published, like there's a ton of other obligations that come with this job um, and including things like promoting your books, being like on online social media maintaining a website like running giveaways doing events talking to people going to cons like there's there's a lot of stuff um that uh, you that is part of this job um and they're fun um oftentimes but uh you also just will struggle to preserve your creative time um and it's something that 
certainly I know that I have to do. I have to make this very, very deliberate effort to always like protect my writing time. And I think a lot of authors find themselves in that situation too. Um, The other thing that I think I didn't really understand at the beginning and appreciate is the fact that like it doesn't get any easier. I remember thinking (laughs) like, oh, if I like write this, once I've written the first book, like I'll know how to write a book. It'll be easier the second time around. And surely by the time I've written like five or six books, I'll know how to do this. This will it's like riding a bike, surely, right? But like, it's not, it's it's not any easier. It doesn't get any faster. Every single book is challenging. Every single book, I'm like, I don't know how to write. I'm like Googling how to write a novel. And I'm at this point, like I'm right working on like my ninth, is this my ninth? My ninth book, actually my ninth and 10th books. And uh, and yeah, I'm like, I don't, I don't know how to do this. Every time I go through this, I'm like, I don't know how to write. <laughs> And I'll look back on books I've written and I'll be like, who wrote this? It's, it's pretty good. <laughs> so um, so I know that's highly discouraging to some of you who may be listening. I'm very sorry if it is. But just take comfort, I guess, from the fact that like it continues to be challenging because um because every book is different. Every book goes through its own process. You might be in a different place as a person, as a writer, you're trying to do different things. If you are pushing yourself, it should still be hard because um, yeah, every project I've done, I'm trying to do something different. And uh, and so, yeah, it's kind of horrible, but it's also kind of great. That makes a lot of sense. This is gonna be my last question and then we can go ahead and wrap up. What would you like as a reader and a writer, a lover of fantasy, of fiction, genre fiction, all kinds of things like that, uh, what would you like to see more of in the fantasy genre today? Mm-hmm. That's a really good question. Uh, I think the fantasy genre has broadened a lot, just even in so the time much. that I have been published and working. Mm-hmm. It's changed changed for the better in so many ways. And it's a great time to be reading fantasy, honestly. Like if if you're someone who's listening and like maybe you liked fantasy when you were younger, but you kind of stopped reading fantasy. I mean, now's the time to get back in. Like now, you know, fantasies is is just so much to offer. Um, And certainly no longer just like swords and sorcery in a D&D style world, right? There's so much more variety. In terms of like what else I would like to see though, um, I, I... would like to see like all the trends that have um, happened in terms of broadening the types of stories and voices continue. But I'd also like to see fantasy be more inventive, which is kind of a strange thing to say, considering that it's like, it's fantasy, right? It's like, it it should be (laughs) the most inventive, imaginative genre that there is. Um, But sometimes I think that like, sometimes science fiction is a, sort of the other side of the speculative coin that takes more risks hmm. you know and like fantasy yeah. sometimes i think can kind of be comfortable in that it has all these sort of uh these sort of tropes and conventions that like people are familiar with and they just accept you know like a dragon hmm. is a dragon is a dragon kind of almost you know like there's there's these shorthands in fantasy that um, can that that are cool and comforting, um, you know, as a reader sometimes. But that uh, but that can kind of make it 
expected as well sometimes. So I'd like to see, you know, fantasy just be more, be more daring, I guess, take more risks, um, especially because cross-genre fiction is so much easier um, to accomplish these days and like more accepted. And there's, you know, there's just more appetite for it, I think. Um, you know, like I'd love to see, I don't know, a fantasy spy thriller set in mm. the cold war like you know right, there's yeah yeah uh, I, you know um i i you, you mentioned travis baldry right like his his book legends and lattes blew up because it took those old conventions and was like let's just make this like cozy slice of life i mean that was a really inventive thing to do so um so yeah like i i think as a um as as someone working in the field, it's it's awesome to be kind of be part of this renaissance of the genre. I just hope it continues and we keep like doing things that are cool and daring and sort of ask hard questions um, and, uh, you know, are, and sort of push the boundaries as much as we can. Yeah, you know, um, part of what I do is uh, listen to a lot of, the, of my fans and followers and stuff ask me for recommendations on and mostly they're they're genre pointed right people are asking can you give me a recommendation for this kind of genre or this kind of genre and i've noticed um they seem to be getting more specific so people are saying you know i want fantasy horror and it's like i don't really right. know, know about that much of that I, I mean there's there's like fantasy with spooky elements to it but there's no like there's not a lot of true like really horrific stories that are set in like a fantasy world you know, um, I mean, right. like maybe like between two fires or Perdido Street Station or you know, the kind of stuff that's like in that vein, but nothing where I've seen an abundance of fantasy con conventions mixed with a an abundance of horror conventions and things like that. Right, so I, right. I totally agree with you. Yeah, taking some risks and there is a certain, and I think that Travis Baldry uh, maybe capitalized on that a little bit is like there's a certain coziness to it that i feel like everybody really wants to come home to with fantasy you know you want to get that feeling of sinking into it something else again and um you know we're all chasing that for sure um but like there is something to be said of like pushing those those boundaries of convention out so that we can then explore not only new worlds but characters interacting with their realities in those new worlds which makes for deeper characters and deeper situations too. And I think that you did a really excellent job with that in Greenbone. And I think that that's why that trilogy exploded the way that it did is because you married those two things so well. They're such fantastic books. I'm I'm so happy to have read them. I'm definitely gonna reread them for sure. Uh, Cause I, I need to get back in there. <laughs> I, need to, I want to hang out with Hilo and Lan and Shay and everybody and um, everybody that's listening right now. Uh, Fonda and I talked quite a bit about Greenbone, but we also talked about Untethered Sky, her new novella that's coming out. That is coming out on April 11th and you can buy it for yourself and probably read it really fast because I read it in one day because I couldn't put it down. It was so excellent. Fonda, I really appreciate you coming on to Book Reviews Kill and talking with me. I've been looking forward to this for a really long time, and I had really been hoping for this since I had read the Greenbone Saga. No, it's been a pleasure chatting with you, Evan. Thanks for having me on the show. Of course. And everybody listening, you can find Fonda Lee uh, on social media in the description on this episode. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. I hope you all have an awesome rest of your day, and of course, happy reading.